Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom. Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler. How are you? I'm doing very well. Are you ready to begin another grand experiment? Yes, I am ready. All right, let's give it a whirl. Okay, I'm very excited, and I also want to say hello to everyone in the whole world. It's very exciting to have you all listening. Hi to each and every one of you, individually and in groups. Yes, that goes uh, double for me. Hello to everyone uh, across the United States and uh, all over the world. Uh, it is uh, so, uh, very, it just gets us every time to think about, uh, you know, this is being listened to uh, all over the world. It is uh, uh very interesting, very fun. And uh, for those of you who are just joining us, uh, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about how this podcast works. Uh, in a moment, I will give the astrological birth data of a random historical figure uh, to my mother. Uh, now, uh, you, the listening audience, already know who this historical figure is. It is in the title of today's episode. I, of course, know who it is because I selected this person, but Mom has no idea who this person could be. Uh, I will give her the uh, data necessary to create an astrological birth chart, uh, that is the birth time, uh, location, and date uh, of our mystery history guest. She will then input that into the Bat computer, and out will come the astrological birth chart, where all the planets, moons, and stars were at the moment that person was born. She will then give us a blind initial reading, uh, telling us what she can about the personality traits, characteristics, fortunes uh, of this uh, mystery history guest. I'll then reveal to her uh, whose chart she's been looking at and uh, give a little background about the person, and then we'll discuss how accurate the chart was at uh, predicting what that person did. Uh, so without further ado, let's begin. Okay. Uh, so this is a male. All right. Born on the 20th 
Okay. Of May. All right. 1908. Okay. Do we have a birth time on this one? We do. It is 7.15 a.m. All right. Okay. And what country? Uh, the country is the United States. All right. And the town? Indiana, Pennsylvania. Hmm. This one. Okay. So to recap, this is a male born on May 20th, 1908 at 7.15 a.m. in Indiana, Pennsylvania, in the United States. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. Very interesting. Very, 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 very interesting. Okay. So, uh, this person might have the most planets I've ever seen in any of the charts in the 12th house which is a very karmic and interesting to me. Uh, I'm going to start with that 12th house because the, I find it very interesting. Uh, that 12th house cusp is ruled by Gemini, and Gemini is ruled by Mercury. And as you can see, we have the sun at 29 degrees Taurus, and Mercury at 13 degrees Gemini, and Pluto at 23 degrees Gemini, and Mars at 28 degrees Gemini. So if you have listened to the show for a while, even if you started with no astrology information at all, and you have been listening to the show, then you should know by now that Pluto is a planet that is very powerful. And Mars is your direction, as well as uh, for a male, the sun is very much a direction for a male. And uh, Mercury is communications. So here we have the sun at 29 degrees Taurus. And that is that, you know, degree of sorrow, that 29 degrees. But it does fall in this 12th house. So we have sun and Mercury conjunct Pluto, conjunct Mars, all in Gemini, Sun and Taurus with all the other planets in Gemini. And what we have here is a 12th house ruled by Gemini's karma with communications. Uh, this person has to somehow communicate, communicate, and they have power powerful communication uh and it is their direction their um uh ambition to communicate uh in a very very powerful way in a way that could be could even involve war because it's mars and then pluto is death and rebirth and power and then just Mercury in general is communications, that Taurus 
the sun in Taurus is going to give this some stability because all of these Gemini planets and these very powerful, uh, uh, all of these planets that are in Gemini are, are, are really powerful. So I would assume that this person had a distinct amount of power and it was inevitable that this person uh, had that kind of power. Um, okay, so moving to uh, the first house. Now we have um, the first house cusp is Cancer, three degrees Cancer. So with that three degrees Cancer, it is still on the cusp of Gemini. So we have a couple of different um, interesting things uh, because of that. Uh, this person does have their north node, which is their true direction, which is the direction you're supposed to follow. If they were to follow their south node in this situation, uh, they would um, end up uh, being much much less um, interested in the, in the leadership aspects of their chart. But I have a feeling that that was not a possibility. Uh, this person has Venus at 11 degrees Cancer and Neptune at 12 degrees Cancer, which is pretty close to conjunct. I mean, it is conjunct by degree. Uh, so um, I would think that this person having Venus and Neptune in the first house, Venus in the first house, would it, it should make this person very beautiful, very, very handsome, uh, very uh, uh, people would um, uh, want to be near this person. And this person would uh, exude, um, I want to say this person would exude love. They should exude some kind of nurturing and, and love. Am I anywhere near? <laughs> Am I even close oh, to yeah. anything here? Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Now also having that Neptune exactly conjunct that, that Venus, like Venus is at 11 degrees and Neptune is at 12 degrees. This also gives this person kind of a dreamy, uh, you know, because Neptune is illusion and dreams and, and psychic ability and uh, creativity. And they might be very creative with their appearance, uh, but it does lead them to that sort of dreamlike I don't know, dream man, <laughs> dream man situation. Um, very interesting because it's all within 10 degrees of the North Node. So that's all very interesting. So let me go to the second house, which has Jupiter uh, in Leo at seven degrees in the second house. Wow. Uh, this person should have been very lucky with finances and belongings and uh, uh, somehow 
there's some involvement with children. Um, I always say this whenever we're dealing with Leo. It could be children. It could be um, show business. It could be performance. Uh, any number of these things. But in this particular situation, this person has uh, Leo uh, ruling their... Uh, it, 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 cancer continues into the into the second house, so it switches from Cancer to Leo in the second house, and then Leo continues into the third. You can see that, right, Chandler? Mm -hmm. See this yes. house cusp and this house cusp, mm -hmm. and Leo is from here to here. Right, okay, right. so we have this Leo aspect in the second house, making. I'm just gonna say, I, I, this person, I don't even know if if they were a gambler, they would have been. I would assume they were very lucky hmm. in finances. But um, they're they're lucky with all Leo things. Uh-huh. So Yes. Okay. Because they have Jupiter and Leo. So all things Leo, leadership, um, children, even some aspects of sexuality. Uh uh, but it's second house. So it's second house is more about belongings and 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 Ten, you know, more tangible things. Second house is ruled by Taurus, which is ruled by Venus. You know, it could also be love, but usually second house is more about things. Third house is ruled by Leo, but there's nothing in that house. Um, fourth house is um, uh, ruled by uh, um, Virgo, but there's nothing in there. Fifth house is ruled by Libra. There's nothing in there. And we go into Scorpio in that fifth house as well, just because of the way the houses are laid out in this uh, Placidus chart. And then sixth house is uh, Sagittarius. Now we come around to uh, seventh house, which is uh, ruled by Capricorn. And this person has Uranus at 16 degrees Capricorn. Now with that Uranus, which is, uh, ruled by Aquarius. I mean, um, Uranus rules Aquarius, right? So Uranus has to do with uh, unexpected things, um, uh, humanitarian things, uh, and this person has it in Capricorn, which is difficult when you have Uranus in Capricorn because Capricorn's all about control, and Uranus is all about not control, right? So here you have a seventh house cusp. Your 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 seventh house is ruled by Capricorn, but there's some aspect of not being in control there, um, or uh, unexpected things happening with partnerships, uh, and it can be good or bad. It's just Uranus brings unexpected. Okay, you're not. It's the things that are unexpected. So if you have Uranus, wherever your Uranus is, if you have the current planets transiting that and they aspect that Uranus and hit it with a square or a trine or a, a conjunction or whatever, uh, it'll activate that. Okay. Then we have eighth house and we have moon at 25 degrees Capricorn in that eighth house because that seventh house is so, you know, it's a smaller uh house with the cusps you can see that right 
See how that triangle is mm -hmm. smaller? It's because of the degrees of the Placidus houses. But now we have Moon and Capricorn in the eighth house. So this person uh, maybe had a very powerful mother. Uh, may uh, interact with powerful women. Um, eighth house is ruled by Scorpio, which is ruled by Pluto, which is sexuality and um, uh, hidden things, things that are hidden. Like maybe this person didn't know who his mother was um, or his mother was very powerful because Pluto is power, hidden things, sexuality, secrets, um, also uh, uh, inheritance and what am I trying to say? Legacies. Okay. So maybe this person's mother was famous or well-known. There's something about the mother because the mother is moon. Okay. Now we go to the ninth house, which is ruled by Aquarius. And we have Chiron there at 23 degrees Aquarius. So somehow, uh, as Chiron is the, the wounded healer, so somewhere in the early part of this person's life, they could have had some sort of issue with travel or dogma, philosophies, things like this. Uh, that, uh, are, that have to do with the ninth house because ninth house is ruled by Sagittarius and Sagittarius is ruled by Jupiter. So Jupiter is uh, very benevolent and uh, giving and Sagittarians can tend to be very giving and, and, and benevolent. But in this situation, with it being the wounded healer, something triggered this person to be a healer of people. Am I still on track? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, something about that humanitarian aspect of, of, of Aquarius. Okay. And of course I'm looking at all the good aspects and I tend to look at all the good aspects. I don't ever normally take the time to go into the, the darker aspects because that's just how I am. I like to look at the good things. So uh, then we have 10th house and this person has Saturn in the 10th house and they have Saturn and Aries in the 10th house. As we know, 10th house is the house of career and um, this person has Saturn in the 10th house, which would mean that their career was very important to them. Like they were almost controlled by their career because Saturn is control. And having Saturn and Aries would, oh boy, um, your lessons would come from all of those Aries things. So you'd have to mind your temper and and, and I mean, having Saturn in the 10th house in Aries could make this person a military person. Um, it could make them, uh, it would make them fiery, but some control in that. And their midhaven is uh, in Pisces. 
So having the midhaven in Pisces also makes them very creative. Uh, I, 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 uh, this is a very interesting person. This person has a lot of power, a lot of nurturing. Uh, they don't have anything in the 11th house, so this doesn't really have to do with, I don't know, them interacting with huge groups of people, but at the same time, they should have been leading something. They have karma with the 12th house, which is also 12th house is, you know, psychic ability and things like that. But it's in Gemini, so it's communications. Do you have any questions? Uh, yeah. Uh, so what sort of profession do you think this person would go into? Boy, I mean, this person has a really beautiful first house, so... I would think they would be a very beautiful looking person. So they could be in um, uh, the public eye, a performer of some sort. Uh, but, oh man, that all that communications in the 12th house, they are, they are karmically connected to communicating. So it could be a very important aspect of what they do in their life. And then that Saturn in the 10th house would mean that they would have a career in Aries things. And Aries people are not patient. They mm -hmm. want, they want to move and get it done. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Next thing. Next, next, next. You know, they're not when it's in their 10th house, they are movers and shakers. I would assume this person was very dedicated to making things happen. Does that help? Yeah, yeah. Um, how would uh, women respond to him? Well, I would think that women would respond very well to this person. Uh, this person... I'm, I'm, as looking at this chart, this person should be very good looking and they have moon in the eighth house, which is the house of sexuality. So I would assume that this man liked women a lot and, mm -hmm. and, and, and women were drawn to him. Mm -hmm. I mean, his Mars is in the 12th house, so it is in Gemini though, so could be really fickle like he could be like mm, have a whole bunch of women i don't know it seems also that uranus and capricorn in the seventh house uh i don't know that doesn't i mean normally having a seventh house a capricorn on the seventh house would would kind of give this person some stability but with uranus there mm, they might like to change their mind mm-hmm uh, how would this person relate to uh, the common man? Hmm. Well, uh, they have Mercury and Gemini in the 12th house. So 
they should be very, very capable of interacting with everyone in the world. Uh, how they relate to them. Are you speaking of common man, like as in poor people? Or the, uh, because is this, they a, this person has very little planets on the lower hemisphere of this chart, so they're very uh, in their head. This person, mm -hmm. um, there's not a lot of uh, uh, tangible hands-on that I'm seeing here. Mm. It's all cerebral uh, power. I would think this person was very, very smart and very capable and powerful in their thought process and in their communications. But also, I mean, they do have that cancer on the first house, so they should appear nurturing. Mm -hmm. They should seem nurturing. Uh, what role would home and country play in his life? Well... There is nothing in the fourth house, but they have Virgo on the fourth house. So regarding home and country and uh, environment, you know, their, their community, they should be very um, committed uh, as in like they want to work for that. Like, they want to do a good job because it's in Virgo. And Virgos always want to do the best job. You know what I mean? Like, Virgos take pride in how well they do their work. It's important to them and how organized they are and how, um, how, how well they do their job. But that's on the fourth house. That's not sixth house because sixth house... As far as work is concerned, that is um, Scorpio and then Sagittarius. So, uh, how would this person uh, do in a team setting? Well, uh, they don't have anything in their eleventh house. All their stuff is in the twelfth house, but they do have Aries and Taurus on the team. So, I would feel like they need to be the leader of the team. I feel like uh, they're not so much one of the guys. This person needs to kind of be in charge. Uh, all right. Uh, are there uh, any other things uh, that you can get out of the chart that you haven't uh, talked about already? Well, I just feel that this person is kind of diverse because they have Pisces on their midhaven, which makes them very creative, right, in their career. But... They have Saturn in Aries in their 10th house, which makes them need to be in charge and be, let's get this done. Let, this is how we're going to do it. You know, we're just going to go from A to B to C to D. You know what I mean? It's very, it's very, uh, and they know how to do that, you know? And then they have this amazing ability to communicate very powerfully and they should be very attractive to look at and women should like them and they are they do have a humanitarian aspect to them a, a need to heal humanity i i, I that's what that's what i'm seeing here they are mm -hmm. a very interesting person they have the ability to 
literally lead anything, but at the same time, negotiate anything and be creative with it. So it's all very interesting to me. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I think it is uh, time for us to uh, do our summary of uh, what we found in the chart so far. Uh, so the first thing you said was uh, karma with communications, powerful communications, ambition to communicate in a powerful way, uh, something regarding war, maybe able to communicate about war. Uh, there's an inevitability with power. Uh, he's very handsome. Uh, people would want to be near him. Uh, he exudes love. Uh, and could be creative in his appearance. There's a dream-like quality. He's almost a dream man. He is lucky with finances and belongings, and there is a luck with uh, possibly show business, uh, leadership, and sexuality. Uh, unexpected things happening with partnerships. Uh, powerful women play a role in his life. Uh, his mother could have been very powerful. Uh, their uh, legacy with powerful women. Uh, something triggered this person to be a humanitarian. The career is very important to him. Uh, it could be controlled by his career. Uh, there is a temper that he needs to keep in check and could possibly be a military person uh, and have a fiery personality. Uh, could be a performer. Uh, is definitely a beautiful person. Uh, women would be drawn to him, uh, but he could be fickle, maybe a playboy. Uh, he is very smart. He is nurturing uh, and can interact with everyone. Uh, he uh, wants to work for home and country and do a good job. Uh, and in a team setting, he would be uh, drawn to leadership positions. Uh, anything that I left out? No, I think that you did very well. Well, uh, would you like to know whose uh, chart you've been reading? <laughs> yes, I would. Uh, well, uh if uh, our listeners are uh, listening to this on the day that this is uh, published, it will be Christmas Eve. And uh, this is a man who uh, I believe, especially in our household, is absolutely uh, synonymous with Christmas. Uh, this is the uh, chart of George Bailey, uh, otherwise known as Jimmy Stewart. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. I love Jimmy Stewart. Okay. <laughs> I can see a lot of things now. Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that kind of makes sense to me for Jimmy Stewart because mm -hmm. he was both, you know, he, he was very creative and, 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 uh, yeah. He does have that kind of interesting look about him, but it's it's in Cancer, you know. So his rising sign is in Cancer. So, uh, yeah, I oh yeah, I can see all of that and the communication and Gemini and everything. I'm very interested to see what kind of research you did on this because I do love Jimmy Stewart. 
so uh, James uh, Maitland Stewart was born May 20th, 1908 in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Uh, his uh, mother uh, was Elizabeth, uh, father Alexander Stewart. Uh, the uh, Stewarts uh, owned a hardware store in Indiana, uh, Pennsylvania, and uh, his father was known throughout the community. He was uh, 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 the character of the community. Uh, there are stories where uh, he would go into the local tavern, have such a great time, and say, hey, uh, all of you should come over to uh, my house for uh, for breakfast tomorrow morning. And then uh, his wife would have to cook breakfast for 40 strangers because everyone in the <laughs> bar ended up going to the house that morning. That's very good. Uh, the... Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, it was a uh, a, a pretty creative household as well. Uh, his uh, mother uh, was a, a piano teacher, and uh, music played a very big role in their lives. Um, at a young age, uh, Jimmy Stewart uh, got an accordion. Uh, there was a circus that came through town, and there was an accordion player that needed some money, so he sold his accordion in the hardware store, and uh, his dad gave Jimmy uh, the uh, accordion, and uh, the accordion was something that he would play uh, for the rest of his life. Also, as a young child, uh, he was fascinated with airplanes. Uh, he was born just a, a few uh, years before uh, the Wright brothers flew in uh, Kitty Hawk. Uh, aviation uh, was a huge part of uh, growing up, and he um, worked very hard on making model airplanes. Uh, that was one of his favorite activities. Uh, as a young man, he attended Princeton. Uh, he was there from 1928 to 1932. And this is where he was first introduced to acting and uh, played in a, a few of the plays uh, put on there uh, at the university. And uh, while he was doing this, he was working on his degree in architecture. And uh, upon graduation, he uh, was offered a full scholarship to attend uh, graduate school uh, to continue his work. Uh, he, he was uh, uh, doing work on art, the architecture of uh, airports. Uh, and so uh, he was offered this uh, to go to graduate school or uh, to go uh, into a uh, theater troupe. And uh, as someone who has attended graduate school, uh, I can understand why he would choose to play around with a the theater troupe instead. A <laughs> uh, uh, much less soul-crushing job uh, being a theater actor than being a graduate student. <laughs> uh, so he joined uh, the University Players, and this was a troupe that uh, was uh, uh, based out of... Uh, uh, Massachusetts, and uh, but he was not an actor. He uh, joined it as an accordion player for the uh, orchestra, and uh, he eventually got into uh, lesser roles and worked his way up. Uh, the university players had a, a couple of people that he met there that uh, would play a major role in the rest of his life. Uh, so uh, a woman named Margaret Sullivan and uh, someone who would end up becoming his best friend, and that was a man named Henry Fonda. <laughs> Uh, so uh, they uh, did uh, plays all through uh, Massachusetts and eventually got the opportunity to go to Broadway. And uh, Henry Fonda and Jimmy Stewart actually shared an apartment in New York City. And uh, Fonda was actually kind of jealous that Jimmy Stewart, he still wasn't completely committed to acting. Um, but uh, all of this luck just kept coming his way and he kept getting all of these good roles. And Henry Fonda really studied and really wanted to 
be an actor, and the same sort of windfalls were not coming for him. Uh, but there are lots of stories of uh, Fonda and Stewart sharing an apartment in New York, and uh, for uh, uh, the the. Lots of other uh, actors would come by and uh, Fonda would cook hobo steaks for them and they would drink beer and they would talk about the craft of acting. And uh, eventually Stewart uh, kept getting these uh, uh, jobs and Broadway plays and uh, he got discovered and uh, by a, a talent scout for MGM and he was signed to a seven-year contract in 1935. Uh, Jimmy Stewart likes to uh, describe this part of his life as uh, he got uh, bit parts in major movies and major parts in bit movies. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so that uh, characterized a lot of uh, uh, the, his early career until about uh, 1938. Um, but they, uh, Stuart and Fonda actually got discovered around the same time, and uh, they were known as the playboys of Hollywood. Stuart and Fonda would double date, and their goal was to have a different movie star for every day of the week. Oh my! Uh, when uh, Jimmy Stewart was uh, asked about this, uh, he said, uh, oh, Well, uh, I, I like dancing, and uh, th these girls are very good dancers. <laughs> uh, his uh, real, real big break came in 1938 when he met a young director named Frank Capra. Uh, Capra made a uh, film uh, with Jimmy Stewart uh, called uh, You Can't Take It With You with Gene Arthur. It's a great uh, uh, romantic comedy. Uh, but then the very next year, 1939, this is uh, one that everybody should watch many times in their life. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Uh, it is uh, uh, one of those great Frank Capra films, and Jimmy Stewart really just embodies the American spirit in this uh, senator and uh, combating the, uh, 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 the long and powerful arm of Mr. James Taylor. And uh, great film. And then uh, the same year, 1939, uh, he made uh, Destry Rides Again, uh, one of his first westerns. Uh, he made this with uh, Marlena Dietrich. And uh, Jimmy Stewart and Marlena Dietrich had a very uh, passionate affair uh, during the uh, filming of this. And uh, years and years afterwards, his uh, children would ask Jimmy Stewart, what was it like being with, uh, you know, working with Marlene Dietrich? And he would just get very quiet and go, oh, oh, Marlena. <laughs> he, he, he was, that was a very important, a, a very uh, uh, lovely romance in, in his memories. Um 1940, uh, Catherine Hepburn selected Jimmy Stewart. Going back to uh, our second episode, our third episode, uh, Catherine Hepburn specifically wanted Jimmy Stewart to play uh, his role in uh, the Philadelphia story. And uh, for uh, his role in the Philadelphia story, Jimmy Stewart won uh, the Oscar. Uh, and uh, this is actually the only Oscar that he would win in his entire acting career for a specific film. And that happened in 1940. Uh, 
all through this time, his parents were not exactly sure, you know, this is this wasn't exactly the path that they thought that their uh, young boy would take. Um, but once he won the Academy Award, well, the parents weren't exactly sure how important that was. Uh, the dad thought, well, did they give you some sort of plaque or something? It's like, well, it's a, it's a little golden statue. And uh, <laughs> Jimmy Stewart uh, sent it uh, to his, sent the Oscar to uh, his father and his father displayed it in the front window of the hardware store. And it stayed there for 20 years. Oh, that's so good. Uh the uh, next major chapter in uh, Jimmy Stewart's life, and really the uh, whole world's life, uh, happened uh, next year in 1941. Uh, this is uh, when World War II is ramping up in the United States. Uh, Jimmy Stewart uh, signed up uh, for military service in March of 1941. Uh, Pearl Harbor happened in December of that year. So before the United States had even entered the war, Jimmy Stewart wanted to make sure that he was serving his country and serving uh, the cause of liberty around the world and uh, was inducted into uh, the uh, Army Air Corps. Uh, he already had over 400 hours of flying experience before entering the military. Uh, now, a lot of Hollywood stars entered the military during World War II, but what really sets Jimmy Stewart apart is that he was actually involved in combat missions. Uh, people like Ronald Reagan or uh, other actors who uh, went into the military were given uh, other sorts of jobs of morale boosting, uh, USO, uh, Hollywood Canteen. Uh, things to uh, get uh, uh, war bonds, uh, these things that already capitalized on their talents. Um, but Jimmy Stewart was involved in over 20 dangerous combat missions as a B-24 flying liberator, command pilot, wing commander, or squadron commander. Uh, during Wow. During World War II, uh, he earned uh, the Distinguished Flying Cross uh, with two oak leaf clusters. He earned the Air Medal with three oak leaf clusters. And the uh, French government gave him the uh, French uh, Croix de Guerre uh, with palm. Uh, so a, a decorated uh, war veteran during uh, World War II. Uh, and a, a wonderful story about all of this is during all, you know, when he was an actor, he was making a pretty good salary. He was making thousands of dollars a week. Uh, well, as a commissioned officer, that went down a bit. Uh, he was paid uh, $21 a week. Uh, oh, no! Out of those $21, every week he made sure to send uh, $2.10 to his agent. <laughs> so that the agent <laughs> continued great. getting 10%. That is great. Uh, after uh, the war ended, uh, Jimmy Stewart uh, remained in the uh, Air Force Reserves. Uh, he uh, would rise to the rank of Brigadier General in the Air Force Reserves and continued flying missions. Uh, as late as 1968, Jimmy Stewart was uh, flying missions as a non-duty observer during bombing raids in Vietnam. Uh, I... Not that many people know that, that George Bailey was a brigadier general in the uh, Air Force Reserves, and I just love that, 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 that whole story and that whole part of his life. Um, yes. After the war, uh, Jimmy Stewart made uh, probably his most famous picture, the, the picture why we're talking about him on this Christmas Eve uh, podcast. He made It's a Wonderful Life. 
that was uh, the first film for him and the first film for director F- uh, Frank Capra uh, to be made after uh, World War II. And there was a lot of uneasiness about, uh, you know, would the world be the same? Would the world still want to see Jimmy Stewart doing the same things that he had done before? And Uh, It's a Wonderful Life uh, is actually a transitionary film. There's a lot of the lighthearted comedy involved, but there's a lot of the deep drama involved in uh, Stewart's later career that you can see uh, in this film. And uh, uh, if you haven't seen It's a Wonderful Life, I encourage you. Uh, It is uh, one of the greatest films ever made. It will make you cry. Every single year it makes me cry, Uh, but it's like a Pixar movie in that you cry in a good way, and it is uh, uh, absolutely one of the greatest films ever made. Um, Yes. Shortly after making It's a Wonderful Life, uh, what uh, Hedda Hopper uh, once termed the greatest American bachelor uh, was a bachelor no more. Uh, He uh, married uh, Gloria uh, Hattrick. Uh, and uh, married quite late in life. He he was uh, uh, either 40 or very close to being 40 uh, when he got married. Uh, his uh, later career, uh, going, uh, he vacillated between uh, the two major types of movies that he would make were suspense films with Alfred Hitchcock and uh, westerns. Uh, so the Hitchcock films include Rope, Rear Window, The Man Who Knew Too Much, Vertigo, these are some of the greatest films ever made, and Jimmy Stewart continued to show even uh, later into uh, his midlife. Uh, he was uh, uh, the consummate actor and and the everyman. And uh, the, the, one of the reasons that Hitchcock said that he liked to use movie stars like Jimmy Stewart is that uh, he, he used the metaphor that if you're driving down the freeway and you look on the uh, other side of the freeway and there's a car accident and you see uh, that you just look and you see that there's somebody there, but you don't know who it is. You just turn your head and you keep on driving. But uh, And that's what it's like when you use an unknown actor, is that you're using somebody that people don't know and you're putting them through all these things. But if you use a movie star like Jimmy Stewart and you go down the freeway and you see an accident, it's like seeing your brother or your uncle on the stretcher. And that really ramps up the suspense. And that's exactly what it would be. That spoke to Jimmy Stewart's uh, uh, appeal to the American audience, that he was everyone's brother or uncle or father or grandfather. Uh, at, at least that's who we'd want sometimes to be uh, in our family. And and when you see him play these more difficult roles and uh, uh, these more uh, uh, nuanced and, and uh, 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 uglier roles in, in a way, it, it really gives gets to you that Jimmy Stewart is doing all these things uh, to uh, the young lady in Vertigo and uh, the the paranoia involved and you see it in his eyes and it really shows uh, how good he was as an actor. Uh, in uh, 1959, uh, he made Anatomy of a Murder, and uh, you know a lot of people peg uh, Jimmy Stewart as uh, this uh, stalwart of uh, conservatism, of family values. But at the time, Anatomy of a Murder was uh, a very uh, controversial film. Uh, they were talking about controversial subjects, and uh, uh, there, there's this famous uh, scene during the. Uh, uh, trial where uh, Jimmy Stewart uh, he holds up a pair of uh, women's panties uh, in the movie and uh, so 
back in Indiana, Pennsylvania, where his mother and father were still around, <laughs> uh, the the uh, uh, customers at the hardware store would say, "Oh, well, that uh, that film that your uh, uh, son is in, that is really something." And the uh, the dad didn't know what was in the film, didn't know what Anatomy of a Murder was, and uh, the people said, "Oh, yeah, well, you know, your son he holds up a pair of uh, women's panties in the film." And uh, the father was so upset about this, saying that, well, I, I didn't know my son was making dirty movies. <gasps> oh, no! And the father took an ad in the local paper begging people not to see Anatomy of a Murder. <laughs> Uh, the, oh, no. the, because he did this, uh, the lines for the film were around the block at their local movie theater to see J- oh, Jimmy no. Stewart in a dirty movie. And uh, <laughs> then uh, uh, the next year, uh, the uh, film was still playing in a, a movie theater uh, at the next town over. And uh, very late at night, uh, Jimmy Stewart's dad actually went out and saw the picture, and he called his son and said, Jimmy, uh, I, I, I forgive you. It's all right. It's not a dirty picture. <laughs> uh, one of the uh, great stories that comes from this time period, the, in the 1950s, this is the time where uh, the method acting, people like uh, Jim James Dean and uh, Marlon Brando are coming on the scene, and... Um, uh, J- Jimmy Stewart was uh, not very much into the whole method acting. Uh, uh, one of the stories he tells is during um, uh, the filming of uh, uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. At the very end, there's the very the climactic scene where he's been talking for uh, two days straight on the f- floor of the Senate, and he has a very hoarse voice. And uh, in order to make his voice hoarse, he actually went to a doctor and the doctor put drops of uh, mercury chloride in his throat to make him. Oh, my God. Uh, to, to make him hoarse. Uh, oh. And uh, he, he, you know, the, the, the method actors wouldn't like that today. That they, <laughs> but, but really, I think it actually shows that he is more like them than than people might give him credit for to be that dedicated to god knows what that could have done to him but um another story he told about this is uh he goes um that uh you know uh, the, with these method actors they can be going out and uh you can see them going through drug withdrawals trying to not be addicted to drugs anymore and it's a very touching and powerful scene but then you see these uh people uh, a few scenes later and uh you you see them pick up the mail and you don't believe that they're picking up the mail uh, because they it, it, it's not uh, uh connecting with the audience and jimmy stewart's <laughs> philosophy was i would much rather be the guy that people believe that i'm picking up the mail because i'm so much like them that they can relate to me that much more and uh, that was very uh, an important philosophy in uh, his acting style uh the other aspect of this uh, car- uh of his later career was westerns westerns played a big role uh in uh, his later uh career uh, one of the first westerns he made was uh, winchester 73 uh, after the war 
And uh, there's a story where uh, that you know they had all the horse trainers there, and uh, Jimmy Stewart needed a, a horse for the uh, film, and the horse trainer is like, "Well, here's the four that you can choose from." And uh, Jimmy Stewart looks uh, around the corner of a building and he sees a horse over there, and he goes, oh, "Well, what's the story with that horse?" And the horse trainer goes, "Well, that's my horse. I don't let anybody ride that horse. Uh, in fact, that horse is dangerous for other people to ride. I'm the only one who knows how to uh, ride him." And Jimmy. Stewart Stuart walks right up to that horse and uh, gets right on top of it and uh, decides that that's the horse that he wants to ride. And the horse trainer goes, okay, you are the only other person I will ever ride, let ride this horse. Uh, that horse's name was Pie, and Jimmy Stewart rode that horse for the next 20 years. Uh, <laughs> in every single Western he did, he rode the same horse, and that was Pie. And uh, so, and the Westerns that he uh, and Pie were in include Winchester 73, Broken Arrow, How the West Was Won, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, one of the greatest films of all time, um, and, and The Shootist, which was John Wayne's uh, last uh, film. Uh, going into uh, the 1970s and 80s, uh, Jimmy Stewart was becoming an older man. Uh, the uh, roles were getting uh, fewer and farther between. Uh, still doing some things on television and doing a few uh, movies and doing a few uh, plays. Um, one of the things he did was uh, he wrote a book of poetry. And uh, if you ever have the chance, I encourage you all to go to YouTube and see uh, Jimmy Stewart read his poem uh, that he wrote about his dog on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Just like It's a Wonderful Life, it will make you cry every time uh, when uh, he reads the poem that he wrote to his dog, Blue. Uh, uh, as age happens, uh, all of your uh, friends start to uh, go away, and uh, that uh, started happening to Jimmy in particular. Uh, in 1982, Henry Fonda had a uh, very long battle uh, with illness and uh, would die in 1982. Uh, every Nearly every day of that illness, Jimmy Stewart would go to Henry Fonda's house, and they would talk about the old times. They used to love making model airplanes together, and all throughout this whole time, they had had this great friendship. And uh, even though they were of vastly different political uh, opinions, uh, they put that aside for their friendship. And uh, when Henry Fonda died in 1982, that was a major blow to uh, Jimmy Stewart. Uh, his wife, Gloria, died in 1994, and uh, they had been married 45 years. Uh, so wow. uh, for this man who was one of the, uh, well, had a hopper herself, said he was the greatest American bachelor, had been with uh, Rita Hayworth and Marlena Dietrich and uh, Gene Arthur and Ginger Rogers. Uh, he settled down, and he found the one love of his life and was with her uh, for nearly half a century. And then uh, Jimmy Stewart himself passed away in uh, 1997 uh, at the age of 89. Uh, so uh, Jimmy Stewart, uh, one of uh, the greatest actors, uh, one of the greatest Americans, I would say, of the 20th century. And uh, uh, I, I hope that I know uh, on this day that you're hearing this, I will be watching It's a Wonderful Life with my mom and, and my family and uh, watch how great of a performer he is all over again. And I will cry at the end, as I do every time, and uh, uh, absolutely love the man. And uh, I think that this chart here uh, truly bears out uh, who Jimmy Stewart was. 
I agree, Chandler. That's beautiful. All that information about Jimmy Stewart is just wonderful. The research that you've done and all of the the quips and the stories, it's it's really lovely. And I've always loved Jimmy Stewart. And I'm not even from that era. Uh, when I started watching Jimmy Stewart, I was watching old movies of Jimmy Stewart, you mm-hmm. know, just like you're watching old yeah. movies of Jimmy Stewart. But it was really important to me when you were little to show you It's a Wonderful Life and make sure that you knew what it was. And uh, now that I know that this is Jimmy Stewart who we're working with, I can see that there are more aspects that make more sense in who he was and how he lived his life. For instance, the military aspect of his career, you know, it's right there. But the communication and the way that he deals with people is very Torian, you know. He did want to interact with people on a very earthy level, you know, and that is very Taurus and very Venus and and very loving and and uh, very nice with his leadership. And also getting married late in life with that Capricorn on the seventh house, that makes sense because a Capricorn, a person who has Capricorn aspects, for instance, um, if a man has uh, Venus in Capricorn, he would actually like an older woman, you know? So in this situation, he doesn't have Venus in Capricorn. He has moon in Capricorn in the eighth house. So clearly he did like women a lot and he did, (laughs) you know, have a lot of uh, dates with a lot of women who like to dance. And, (laughs) but um, that North node and Venus and Neptune in the first house very much uh, does describe how, Jimmy Stewart looked because he isn't your average, um, you know, handsome leading man like Tony Curtis or even Henry Fonda. You know, he has Mm -hmm. a unique uh, look about him, which uh, is that uh, Neptune, you know, but also it's all in cancer. So it makes it does make him very, you know, easy and, and it makes his personality seem nurturing to you. Like and, and, and a lot of the you, characters that I see him play, he's nurturing something, you know? Yeah. Uh, when you were saying that earlier about, about the dreamlike quality, it reminds me of uh, Carol Burnett's autobiography where she talks about being a little girl and seeing uh, Jimmy Stewart on the big screen. And there was this man who was huger than life. And she said that that was the most beautiful looking man that she had ever seen in her whole life. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And it wasn't just because of the way he looked. It was the way he makes you feel. Yeah, that's all true. I love him. Uh, Well, uh, is there anything else you'd like to uh, add that uh, makes sense now because you know who it is? Right. I think that all of that 12th house communications and, and, and power and direction all in Gemini does make a lot of sense because his career was all in the flickers, you know, mm-hmm. it was the airwaves and, 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 uh, through, uh, the medium of film, you know, and television, which is a, a very interesting communication device. And, uh, he definitely had a very long range career. So it was, mm-hmm. it does make sense. Uh, well, on our scale of uh, right on the money to way out in outer space, <laughs> I think this is another one right on the money. 
Well, thank you, Chandler. That's very good. And I'm very excited that when this comes out today, that you will be with me in person and we can actually watch It's a Wonderful Life because I miss that's, you. Yes, that's right. Uh, so, uh, well, uh, that uh, concludes uh, this episode of uh, History in Retrograde. We'd like to thank you so much for listening. And uh, if you like, you can uh, reach out, uh, uh, follow us on socials. Uh, we are... Uh, at uh, History and Retrograde at Facebook. Uh, we are uh, at History and, uh, History and Retrograde at gmail.com, uh, at Retrograde uh, Podcast on Instagram. And uh, if uh, uh, you really, really like us, uh, we do have a link posted to our uh, PayPal account. If you'd like to slip in a few dollars, uh, that would uh, be very appreciated by us and uh, would help us in uh, getting uh, better quality equipment, uh, producing a better show, and growing. Uh, Growing our audience. And uh, uh, as always, in conclusion, uh, as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. Absolutely. Everyone, please enjoy your families. Have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas and happy holidays to you all. We just love you so much and we're so appreciative of you being here and listening to the show. And we very much look forward to doing a lot more shows for you as we turn the corner and head to a new year. Thank you all so very, very much. Absolutely. Thank you so much and Merry Christmas. Bye-bye. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.